right, day 119. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and see God, not to it, to look at it and primarily see ourselves. All right, so first and foremost, man, Merry Christmas, right? Merry Christmas. Uh, It is such a beautiful day and holiday is something just inside of us that just wells up with joy and excitement and anticipation on this day. And I imagine that, yeah, the first Christmas, right, there was so much uh, yeah, joy and excitement as the Son of God came into the world. Jesus Christ of Nazareth came into the world. God became a man, right? He became a man in the name of Jesus. And that's why we celebrate this holiday from then until now. And so I have a quick poem by um, a fourth, early 4th century church father named St. Augustine. And um, yeah, it's one of my favorites. I read it every year, and I just want to read it now. It says this, Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, the, that the truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. And that's just St. Augustine talking about this beautiful truth of God becoming a man, that man's maker became a man. And uh, I think Rowan Williams has this quote where he says, um, we need the creator to show us what it truly means to be a creature. And yeah, that's just so profound. And that's just amazing. The incarnation is this mystery, um, God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. All right. So yeah, we still going to jump into Job. So Job 29, you know, we have our man Job here. Uh, It's his last claim of innocence, right? So that's basically what this uh, 29 through uh, 32 is primarily about. Job's last claim of innocence. And remember last time, Last time we talked about, you know, just uh, wisdom, right? What wisdom is, the fear of the Lord. And Job is coming off this high, this this hymn of wisdom. And so here, he is making his final case for his own integrity amidst his own intense suffering and affliction. So he'll, he, he's actually going to like uh, go back to the past and then go to the present and then talk about what happens in light of all that. So, all right, so he says in verse two, he says, yo, if only I could be As in months gone by, in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone above my head and I walked through darkness by his light. So he's talking about what life was like before uh, adversity, right? Like, so all these things, you know, God watched over me. I walked through the darkness by his light, right? It was just, I wish it could be like that. And he goes just straight nostalgic, right? He even talks about the way that the friendship of God had guarded his tent. Right. Like me and God was tight, was close. We had this intimate and deep relationship. And so Job's lot in life had been a good one. And he acknowledged that it was a gift from God and it wasn't based on his own merit. Right. Um, You know, he had just this divine light, many children, comfortable, prosperous life, everything you could ever want. But not only that, though, we tend to look at the book of Job and remember that all the stuff he lost, you know, the wealth, the house, all these things. But rarely do we talk about the fact that he didn't just lose stuff. 
he lost status too, right? And so he mentions that here. He says, yo, when I went out to the city gate and took my seat in the town square, the young men saw me and withdrew while older men stood to their feet. City officials stopped talking and covered their mouths with their hands like, oh, that's Joe, right? <laughs> the, noblemen's, the noblemen's voices were hushed and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouths. When they heard me, they blessed me. And when they saw me, they spoke well of me. And so that was a type of respect, honor, and praise that he was used to getting that he didn't receive anymore, right? But that's not it, though. He'll go on to say this wasn't simply because he looked good, right? This was because of his morality, because his upstanding in the community, because of his care for those on the margins and his good works. So he wasn't, in other words, he wasn't famous for something simple or arbitrary, but because of what he did, right? Because of his character. Now, all of a sudden, it's as if none of those things matter. Or those things happen. And that's just a word to us because, man, I, I'm sure, I'm positive that Job knew it was no way, no way his life would turn out this way. There was no way he ended up where he was. He just had he no, no idea. And I imagine that is similar for us. I, I guarantee you, if you listen to this, you probably thought your life would turn out different by now. Right? That who would have known that you would end up where you are today? And this is the feeling that Job has. And it's just a reminder, guys. Our life is not in our hands, right? So try and take your hands off of your life. So much of life is out of our control, right? It's out of our control. And that's what we have to remember. So in Job 30... If 29 was how it used to be, 30 is how it is now. So he says, yo, now, but they mock me. Men younger than I am, whose fathers I would have refused to put with my sheepdogs. So I'm like, these first seven verses of 30, he's like, yo, bro, I'm an OG. I'm an old head who is due his respect, and the young cats are dissing me. Right? They throwing dirt on my name. And so, um, you know, he's like, yo, I'm do this honor. He's like, people who were afflicted, I had treated with care. And now that I'm afflicted, folks, folks don't treat me with any care, right? And so the thing that I was just struck by was how quickly life can change. Kind of piggybacking off the last point, we don't know what life is going to be like, but we don't know how fast it will be something different than what we imagined or what it used to be. In a matter of moments, Job's world is flipped upside down. And that's just a word to be careful. We don't know when the entire trajectory of our life could change forever. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. Our job is to make sure we are faithful and that our loves and priorities are centered around what's most important from there. From there, though, for the rest of the chapter, he just vividly describes this internal turmoil that he feels and has experiences with. And so, um, you know, yeah, he's just describing what comes with all of this. And then in 31, you know, Job uh, goes and runs the gamut of everything under the sun with these uh, sort of self-maledictions, right? And so a self-malediction is just basically a curse. It's a way uh, that folks talked in the ancient Near East, the context of the Old Testament, uh, of calling a curse down on themselves in the event that anything that they said was true, right? So he says, yo, if I have walked in falsehood or my foot has rushed to deceit, let God weigh me on accurate scales and he will recognize my integrity. If I if my step has turned from the way, 
My heart has followed my eyes or impurity has stained my hands. Let someone else eat what I've sown and let my crops be uprooted, right? If my heart has gone astray over a woman or I have looked at my neighbor's door, let my own wife grind grain for another man and let another man sleep with her. And he does this over and over again. But what is he saying? He's insistent on his innocence. This is his last straw. It is coming to the end. And you know what Job needs. Job doesn't need to just keep talking. You know what he needs? He needs an advocate, right? He needs an advocate, right? So all throughout the book, we are left with this sense that Job needs someone to go before God for him. He needs somebody to stand in the gap, right? He needs someone to stand in the gap between him and God. He needs a mediator, right? And you know what the Bible says or who the Bible says our mediator? Jesus. Jesus. First Timothy uh, two, we'll talk about, yo, he's the one mediator between God and man, right? But not just a mediator, not just someone saying, but an advocate, right? We need someone to legally represent us and vindicate us before God um, on behalf of us for our innocence. But that's why I love the Bible. First John chapter two, verse one says this, my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, right? This word advocate here in the uh, original language means uh, parakletos, so it's, it's a paraclete. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he's leaving the disciples in John chapter 14. He says, yo, I'm going to send you a counselor or a helper. I'm going to send you a paraclete. Now, it's used in its, yeah. Uh, relational sense with the spirit, but more in its legal sense here. And like the rest, yo, like the rest of the book of Job has been talking about this type of courtroom language, innocent judge, all these things. Let me present my case. Yeah, yeah. Job needs someone to take his case before God and to declare him innocent, but he can't do that any of himself, right? And he needs someone else. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus goes before God the judge as the advocate to prove and justify us before God. So we are legally righteous before God. Now, Jesus' death and resurrection, this is the beautiful thing, Jesus' death and resurrection for us on the other side of the cross, Jesus' death and resurrection wasn't the end of his ministry, right? He ascends in Acts chapter one, and you know where he goes? He goes to sit at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because his ministry has moved to a new phase. He is now in that of intercessor or advocate. So in other words, anytime somebody sins, that's a Christian, that's in Christ, that has placed their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what happens? God looks at the advocate, <laughs> right? He doesn't punish us. He looks at the advocate. So Job, what Job doesn't realize is he's innocent in the sense that he didn't marry his suffering, but he's not innocent eternally before God because he's not sinless. So in other words, at the end of his life, if he hadn't trusted in Yahweh, he would be guilty. Now, the beauty is that Job believes and trusts the God of Israel. So, therefore, Christ's death as the true Israelite, right, as the one, the promised one to come, the Redeemer, saves Job as well as us. And this is what Job is crying out and longing for, even if he doesn't have the language to say it. So, in Job 32, we get introduced to a new character that we hadn't talked to before, who had apparently been observant and now takes a stab at conversing with Job. 
And this chapter is pretty much a long intro, and his name is Elihu. He has a Hebrew name. He's different than the other guys. Basically, it's this young dude. He comes on the scene, and four times in the first four verses of chapter 32, he tells us that he's angry. He's like, yo, I'm hot. I'm smoking, right? So this young cat is long-winded. He's going to talk for the next six six chapters. Now, his monologue that he says is actually longer than 12 other books in the Old Testament and 17 New Testament books. So he's just going to chat. And what we realize is this young guy, he's going to say some profound things, but he's also going to get it wrong, too. And he says this, too, in in verse 7 of 32. He says, yo, I thought that age should speak and maturity should teach wisdom. That's why I was hesitant. But he says, yo, verse 8, but it's the spirit in a person, the breath from the almighty that gives anyone understanding. It is not only the old who are wise or the elderly who understand how to judge. Now, what is this text telling us? It's that the age, the age is no guarantee of wisdom and youth uh, is no guarantee of ignorance, right? So he first attacks the inadequacies of the advice given by the friends. And secondly, that he had been holding back, but was ready to burst like an unvented wineskin. Now, we have to wait until next time to see everything he says. But the crazy thing is, is this. Regardless, we're going to see over and over that Job, like us, needs an advocate, right? He needs Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who goes into the heavenly courtroom before the judge and presents our case before God the Father. That's what we need, an advocate. So when today, if you make a mistake, I want you guys to know that you have an advocate, Jesus, the righteous one who never sinned, it was perfect. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the advocate. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for sending him in the womb of Mary so that he can save many. We pray that we would trust you. We pray that we would look to and worship the advocate today and forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.